1: Welcome to Footyology with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine.
0: Good day everyone, welcome to the Footyology podcast episode 11 and a very special episode, our post-grand final review. Richmond, our premiers of the AFL. Who would have thought that was possible only a few short months ago? Good evening to you, Mark Fine.
1: Good evening, Rowan, and to all football fans, but especially Richmond supporters catching podcast number 11. You have got a football team that has done you proud and melted 35 years, no grand finals, 37, no premierships. Into, into It's all forgotten, all forgiven on the back of 2017.
0: A very special performance to cap off a very special year. Let's not muck around. Let's get straight into a comprehensive review of the grand final. On Footiology, that's a wrap. OK, I reckon we should work our way through the grand final piece by piece or quarter by quarter. So let's start at the start. And, uh, gee, the first five minutes, uh, pretty good for Adelaide. And I think, uh, I, I suspect I wasn't the only one who saw a couple of costly fumbles, uh, obviously by Nick Flostin, letting Eddie Betts in for that second goal. Thought, oh, the nerves have got them. The nerves have got them. But, boy, did they settle down quickly after that. I had no problems
1: with the Richmond start because you're spot on. There were This is Richmond, and we will talk about Richmond's game plan, restricting teams in the first half through the finals, keep them down to as little score as possible, and then become offensive themselves. But Richmond accept the first five minutes of a final, especially a grand final, you cannot plan for. A, there are moves from the other side that both boxes are are, are renegotiating pre-plans and then the players are over the top. Everybody wants to get a bit of leather early. There's going to be mistakes. What you need to look for, especially for a team like the Tigers, who had a clear plan that worked through two finals previously, how quickly would Richmond going to be able to get into the lockdown mode and putting rings of players around stoppages? And I think we saw it about five or six minutes in. So the first two goals, yes, they were there, but I felt, and I'm sure Richmond felt, they were not indicative of what was to come.
0: No, and it was interesting. They like The second goal came at the five-minute mark, and the Tigers got the ascendancy straight away from that moment, I thought, in, in the midfield. But wh- one thing that really would have encouraged them and made Adelaide, to me, look a bit vulnerable was Adelaide's continual overuse of the footy. And, you know, it was hot. You can't overuse the football in the first quarter of a grand final, and they continued to do it. Handballs getting smothered, and Richmond very good at knocking the ball forward. Something that became apparent early, was soon
1: to become an epidemic, and a huge problem for Adelaide, was either overhandballing or players with the ball getting run down surprisingly often. And the reason, when they looked up, there was not their familiar one or two players that had found some clean space to run into. Upfield. This is very much part of how Adelaide play. When they've got the ball, there are players running into many different places, almost like when a quarterback is throwing to options, and they can normally pick one out. That look-up assessment bore no fruit, and they were getting trapped with the ball either trying to run away from players or handballing it to abrogate responsibility.
0: The thing is, you've still got to put it on the scoreboard. And the Tigers didn't kick that first goal till, I think, after the 16-minute mark. Josh Kenny, very cool snap from the forward pocket. The thing that made me think, gee, they're, they're certainly not just back in the ball game, but I think they're getting on top, was Hooley's goal about four minutes later. Left foot snap. He found some space to work in. And it was sort of like the roles had been reversed. Richmond started dominating the inside 50s from that moment.
1: I I agree. And I was also really encouraged from the Tigers' perspective that Jack Rewald, who had become almost decoy-like in the first two finals, he might have missed a couple of goals, but he'd already taken a great mark, got out on the lead, done some desperate harassing. In the first 20 minutes of that game, he showed that he was... Clearly invested in all the best parts of his football, and we got that throughout the afternoon. Though we didn't get the scoreboard return,
0: and then we had a I guess another twist at towards the end of that last quarter, where the Crows got a couple of sort of classic crumbing goals, didn't they, or or stoppage goals? So a tap to Sloane, right foot yes. snap. Uh, that was four minutes into time on that restored their lead, and then Greenwood only about two minutes later, uh, I think. Nankervis actually, beautiful tap from A terrible piece of rucking
1: rucking by Nankervis in his defensive back pocket in the dying seconds of a quarter. To hit the ball back central to the goals was, oh gee, Damien Hardwick would have been ropeable. So we go into quarter time and the one area of perceived weakness for Richmond, which is the ruck. I mean, Jacobs is all Australian and Nankervis is a bit undersized bears big fruit right before quarter time. So there would have been some concerns, not with how the quarter played out, because I think Richmond are doing it again. They're putting pressure around the ground. But there's no cure to Nan Curvis being six inches shorter than Jacobs, other than platform
0: shoes. So he's in trouble. Although, the, th- the thing, those two stoppage goals, they came quickly... They were, you know, set plays, if you like. It didn't make me feel, oh, gee, Adelaide's definitely regaining the ascendancy here. I thought in general play. So let's talk about that.
1: At quarter time, just from a feel perspective, I certainly felt, and I think most people, commentators were suggesting, that the scoreboard was uh, flattering to Adelaide. And that's very much a glass half full, half empty situation for both teams. Because Adelaide could look at it and say, you know what? We actually didn't play great football that quarter. If we get our systems right, well, hang on. We've gone four goals to two. We're going to we're going to beat them. Or do you look at it from the other perspective and say, when justice is served on the scoreboard, Adelaide's in trouble.
0: Yeah. Well, and and the second quarter starts. Another thing that I thought was significant for the time it happened was we got quite a heavy shower for quite a few minutes. And Adelaide was already having trouble with their ball handling. Couldn't sort of get that run and flow happening. And that rain, it just made it greasy for a good, well, the bulk of that second quarter. And, of course, Richmond continued to sort of increase that advantage in the hard categories. And Jack Rewalt bobs up with his first goal, so... Any fears about him being sort of spooked by a few misses early? They subsided then. And there was a bit of an arm wrestle then for a good 15 minutes, wasn't it? But again, Richmond's still, I thought, ahead in general play. Well,
1: well there, there's an arm wrestle. And whilst the Adelaide team and Richmond are involved in this war, Adelaide are in fact losing the grand final. Because that's Richmond's modus operandi, is in the first half of these finals... The scoreboard's important, but not as important as keeping the opposition to much less goals than they're used to. Why do they do that? Because that will force teams to get out of their comfort zone sometime later in the game. So to go in this quarter, to keep them goalless is great. And there's a great example here at what Adelaide's problem is. So for, how long were, for about a quarter of an hour, Richmond didn't kick a goal, correct?
0: No, well, no other them no, did. No, I'm saying,
1: but Richmond didn't kick a goal. Yeah. Adelaide didn't kick a goal. Yeah. Adelaide have got a terrible record this season when they don't kick a goal of bleeding. 10 north against north, 12 north against Melbourne, and it's going to be very shortly seven north against Richmond. But Richmond know, when they're not kicking goals, how to stop Adelaide kicking goals. And those 15 minutes, there's a few Richmond heroes that are underrated. Nathan Broad for one of them. You know they they do their job sometimes almost unnoticed. But let
0: me tell you, that is a big part that fifteen minutes of what would come later. Well, they had they had the right. Their defence had the right uh, balance of negating and attacking, didn't they? And it, it, it's done the job all year. That defence, but we saw today just what a fantastic unit they are, didn't we? And and Rance led the way there. I thought. I mean, he he just Great. got progressively more and more on top. And by the same token, and we haven't really talked about Adelaide, but, geez, their key forwards particularly had a dirty day.
1: Well, now's the time to talk about it. Because I said when Richmond are not scoring goals, they can keep the opposition goalless. So people might turn around and say, hang on, Adelaide weren't scoring goals, kept Richmond scoreless. That's not how that 15 minutes played out. In that 15 minutes, I believe, for well, the first 20 minutes of the second quarter, Rance's ascendancy was confirmed. And Taylor Walker and Josh Jenkins' deficiencies started to become a problem. And the problem is, if they're not scoring, what on earth are they doing? I feel for Eddie Betts. Whatever he had to create, he had to create on his own from kicks up field. There was no crumbing work to be done because there was no any... Serious aerial contest for him to work off.
0: But this is where I think you've got to first start pointing the finger at the Adelaide coaching box because there was nothing happening to sort of change the the tide or, or regain the initiative. And I would have thought, you know, some people might say too early for that, but a Betts or a Cameron running through the midfield a bit more, surely that wouldn't have hurt. Change the structure of that forward line. Take one of the tools off. I
1: agree. I mean, and, and, Andy Otten, and I don't want to be unfair to the bloke, at this point, he could have gone into the CBD, done some shopping and come back and nobody would have realised. Because what, what role is he playing?
0: Well, he sort of became the replacement Mitch McGovern, but he doesn't have the same sort of aerial prowess well, Mitch that McGovern has.
1: Mitch McGovern actually can go missing for five minutes and that means he's five minutes away from doing something spectacular or unconventional. Mm. Even Hugh Greenwood does that. Unfortunately, Andy Otten's just a bit workmanlike to do that.
0: So we have this arm wrestle, and then Jacob Townsend bobs up a uh, free kick, wasn't it, at the age, so just before time on. Adelaide's still in front. But We should,
1: we should mention that that's on the back of Dustin Martin's first really decisive bit of play. You know, yeah. He finally gets the ball into the forward line, a short pass to who played on? Uh, somebody played on. But nevertheless, Dustin Martin uh, is energised, and that would come to bear fruit shortly. But it was good to see him. Do something really positive there.
0: Now another key moment we get into time on looks like Adelaide's going to go in, perhaps you know, point up or scores even level. But two not game-breaking goals, but gee, they were important in in just sort of cementing Richmond's confidence. I think were Graham at the 25-minute mark on the run, first of three, uh, slotted um, it beautifully. But after that, too, only two minutes later, Martin's first goal. Now. The thing that happened here was... But didn't something happen in between? Uh,
1: Where was the Eddie Betts free kick not paid?
0: I'm just trying to remember that one. You take us through that.
1: Well, I think it was between those two incidents. And Adelaide are desperately in need of a goal. The ball's kicked into the Adelaide forward line. Again, he's not working off any good work by the big men. He tracks the ball back powerfully to the goal square. And the only way he can be denied is a subtle... Small but perfectly timed tug of his jumper, just to impede him and st- so he couldn't get to the ball in a timely manner. Okay,
0: quickly on that issue, so Play you on raised for it. Well, well, did Adelaide get the rough end of the umpiring?
1: Yeah, I, I felt that. Um, I don't think Richmond got any great advantage out of it, except for that one. Oh no, actually, Richmond got a goal in the first quarter that was on the back of a, a jumper hold as well. So, but. You know what? When you're behind, finding it hard to get goals, and the rub of the greens going against you, players' heads start to drop. I think for some Adelaide players, they felt the fix was in pretty early because they didn't show much.
0: No, and another key moment just before half-time. So Dustin Martin gets sent down to the goal square for the last, I think, two or three minutes of the quarter. I was watching this, doing, doing the boundary. I watched it. He drifted down there. And he was left-matched against Luke Brown. And Luke Brown's a really good back pocket, but he doesn't have the body strength to compete with a Martin.
1: And that wasn't their plan for him. They wanted Hardigan on him in those situations. So didn't it,
0: it didn't happen. And I, I reckon that match-up was left. I, I mean, it was, you know, they would argue we didn't have time to change it from the bench, but it was a good minute and a half, I think, at least, um, that Martin was matched up by Brown. And, of course, in that time, ball comes down one-on-one. On one, Dusty Marks kicks the goal. Richmond go into half time 10 points up. And in the way the, score, the scoring had gone, and I think the amount of play the Tigers had had, 10 points, funnily enough, it's not a lot in today's footy, but that felt like a significant lead. And
1: I'm now just plotting the timings of this non free kick to Betts, and I think it was just before the Graham goal because. I'm pretty sure from the Graham goal that the centre clearance was long decisive and over the top to Dustin Martin. They went bang bang. Which means if any Betts gets that goal, which he absolutely should have, that's a twenty they could be up by eight points rather than down by ten. I still think that they're in the crosshairs. But for Richmond, there's a beauty with the half time score and I just want to run through it very quickly because as I said, they want to bring teams to a grind in the first half in the finals along two goals at half time GWS five remember that GWS had three after six minutes yeah and Adelaide four and remember Adelaide had four at quarter time. so they get them on two scores because in both all three cases, Richmond hit the front in that just before half time so it's great to be leading, but they've also kept these teams a from kicking goals and in the case of all three of them, a lot of their, go- their goals came earlier anyhow. They are absolutely gasping for how to get a goal when they go into halftime. Richmond's in front, and they've barely used the Martin up-forward tactic in those games. So, you know what? Going in at half time, this is one thing that Hardwick had going for him. How good is it in the grand final? Things are going exactly like the two prelims, and in those games, they've won by 42... At uh, 51 and 36 points.
0: We're, and it's going the same way. Which Okay, which makes the start of a third quarter absolutely critical. Adelaide has to come out, hit the ground running. First centre break. Uh, I'm de- desperately trying to remember who it was. But they get a break and there's a, a big tackle. And I think it might have been and laying the tackle. Ball gets turned over. Um, ultimately, the first 10 minutes of the third quarter, win Richmond the Premiership, in my view. In that time, you've got Graham with his second goal uh, from a free kick, but definitely, definitely there. Definitely a free kick. Uh, that was at the three-minute mark. Grig at the eight-minute mark, uh, pass from Edwards, I think it was. And then Lambert at 9.30, a, a snap uh, only 15 metres out. All of a sudden, in the blink of an eye, Tigers are nearly five goals up in a low-scoring game. Just about there.
1: And they're getting into the forward 50, as they have all game, but now they're lowering their eyes and there's some separation because Adelaide, at this point, desperate to get in the game, really only know one way of getting in the game, and they've got a lot of guys running forward of the ball, hoping that 50-50 contests go their way so they can get off to the races, that leaves quite a few players open. And, you know, there's some goals around Richmond and there's some near misses as well.
0: So it's panic stations at this stage to the Crows, 28 points. Now they get their first goal uh, since, what, the first quarter from Taylor Walker, about on the 50, wasn't he? That was a tick over 14 minutes, brings it back to 20 points. OK, they've got to seize the initiative now. Instead, what happens in under two minutes... Jack Grime somehow in acres of space in the Ford Fifty. Toby Ned Curvis finds him with a lovely little yep. pass, and he's dobbed it from fifty metres out. Now, well,
1: but that's a separation I'm talking about. Did you see from the from the centre break there? Adelaide players are thinking what you said: we need another goal. And Rory Laird and Seedsman—they're all off to the races on mm. the bounce. I mean, they still
0: have defensive duties. Incidentally, we we should—I mean, Jack Grime—we'll talk about him, but. This is his moment, isn't it? When we talk about important, it was far more than a cameo. Um, this guy was in his, what, sixth, fifth or sixth game of AFL footy. He's kicked three goals in the grand final, two in the premiership quarter. And you, that's... A, you
1: did brilliantly. You got an interview with him after the game. Yeah. I really enjoyed a few of your doorstops there. I loved what he said because you rightly pointed out when he kicked the third goal, he's probably a couple of goals away from the most extraordinary Norm Smith medal and clearly, that's not what he's thinking. He's I've got a role to play, forward line pressure. Got a cup. It was he might have played five games, but he doesn't sound like somebody who's played five games. No, well,
0: that's pretty symptomatic of the attitude all those guys brought to the team. Just why we mention that? How often have we seen a premiership team in which three guys in that team had not, until round seventeen, played a senior game for the entire season? So Nathan Broad came in in round seventeen. Graham came in in round 22 and uh, I've just forgotten the third one who was the third one Um, Uh, Townsend Townsend came in in round 22 it's
1: remarkable but two of but uh, who was the first of those we've got Graham Townsend yeah and Broad yeah and Broad had only ever played one senior game, yeah, hadn't he? Yeah, So we're talking about one gamer, somebody played no games, and Townsend with experience in football, but a lot of time really at second tier level. Yeah.
0: Well, he'd Townsend had played one game in about 35, you know, like his previous game. Oh, t-
1: Townsend was getting ready to be delisted. Yeah, yeah. Clearly, you know, I mean, Richmond were going well during the season. There'd been a number of opportunities to bring him in, and he try to get into a forward line that has a, a guy Stengel waiting in the wings, shy Bolton. There are more of these dynamic little players, and here's tough old Townsend. And by the way, he was tough today. He did a couple of things that would be called unsociable over the boundary line. Nothing crazy. Very good. In the modern construct, very good.
0: Well, he also managed to sort of shut down Weaver as a... Uh sort of attacking option out of Adelaide's back line, didn't he? You know,
1: Lever, he still did some really good things, and I'm thinking to myself, if Lever and Cameron are not at Adelaide next year, Mm. this is not a good afternoon for the Adelaide Football Club.
0: No, no, things can change quickly. Now, let's just talk briefly about the end of that third quarter. So, Graham restores the (laughs) 26-point lead. Casagna right foot snap from a, a Martin handball just into time on Richmond now thirty three points. By
1: the way, Costena goes from being a bit maligned to adored. I mean, that's all it took. Just uh, Richmond supporters at this point are naming heroes. They're they're doing a you know I think England when they came back from Australia with the ashes, the entire team got knighted. Richmond supporters are now at this point claiming to have loved players that they were bagging a week ago. And the love for Castagna rings out around the MCG as though he was everybody's first
0: cousin. Well, they eat him alive and eat their own alive, I guess. And look, last gasp for Adelaide, two big chances right at the end of the quarter. Rory Atkins out on the full, shocking attempt.
1: Well, his his day had not gone well.
0: No, and then Josh Jenkins, whose day arguably was even worse, uh, a point on the siren.
1: You've watched enough football. When he came in to have that kick, did you see... I just thought, this guy's just completely cons- cons- consigned to the fact that he's going to miss this and they're going to lose.
0: Yeah, no, there were a few... Uh, it's interesting, the perspective you get on ground level. Yeah. Now, that's the first grand final I've watched from outside the press box for a long, long time. But you could see just... You get a better read on body language. And uh, I can't remember who the contest was with, but Andy Otten... Uh, There was a telltale sign with him, a contest, where he really had to exert his authority physically on the contest. And he just didn't. And just his body language said, we're gone here and we know it.
1: Can I ask you something about that job on the boundary? Because it does give you an insight that is not unique, but a privy to few. I really don't like Taylor Walker's body language on the interchange when his team's losing. It seems as though he sort of withdraws into himself. Now, he was on there with Luke Brown, who's had a bit of a Richard run with a very strange sort of recurring at three, during third quarter at hamstrings. I don't know what's wrong with Luke Brown, it's an odd injury. But Luke Brown's clearly pretty upset, but still talking to players and getting them up. And the game's alive, but Taylor Walker, the captain, is sitting back there and something's going through his head and I don't know what it is but it's very to me it's very personal and it's not team like.
0: No he really withdrew into himself and he uh, you know but before was,
1: the game was over mathematically. Yeah,
0: no there were well, there were several occasions even when they were still a chance where he really had an opportunity just to you know, he kept getting trapped behind, but if not... No, taken, he wasn't. It I've, I've no, looks I'm, like he's trapped behind. But I'm just making the point. <laughs> at, least, at least hit the contest hard, and he wasn't even doing that. How
1: often does he seem to sort of just get trapped behind, blocked for a run at the pack, or caught wrong-footed, and just misses the dangerous action ahead? I am highly critical of Taylor Walker often, and I have no problems in cementing that, this grand final it's
0: interesting isn't it that we all year we've talked about their to, their three talls the mobility of them all being such an asset but today we saw the other side of that which was a lack of physicality and that was a real handicap for them I reckon I, so, I just on Taylor Walker
1: yeah well, how tall is he 65 in the old yeah right when you're 6 foot 5 and you've played 153 games of football invariably you're the tallest man around, and the only available man for a throw-in or a, a ball-up. He runs. You know, he's had three hit-outs in 153 games. Oh, really? He made again today. I'm uh, sorry. Uh, on the weekend, he made jo- Josh Jenkins, who had his own problems, run a good 40 metres away from position, yelling to, to contest a throw-in. Because Taylor Walker is a five foot eight man in a six foot five body. I just don't understand why he doesn't sometimes assume the big man role.
0: Okay, well, I mean, look, basically game over at three quarter time. Now a comeback, uh, I don't think many people at all would have thought Adelaide capable are coming back to do so, just to put it in context. Essendon twenty three points down nineteen eighty four against Hawthorne, that remains the biggest comeback. Uh, from a three-quarters time deficit to win a flag. So they were going to have to create history. They were going to have to strike early. And what happened? Jack Rewalt in under three minutes, makes the lead 40 points.
1: They also were under no illusions as to what was being done to them. In fact, they were destroyed by a serial killer. Serial killers have, as part of their modus operandi, a repetitive style. They tend to leave the same sort of marks... It is ritualistic almost. And they are part of a ritual that Richmond had indulged in the two previous finals. Because Richmond were nine points up against Geelong at halftime, one point up against GWS, and nine points up against Adelaide. They won the second half against Geelong by 42, GWS by 35, and they win the second half against Adelaide by 39, it is almost identical, and they are watching themselves being killed in the same way that Richmond killed Jalong and GWS, and they can't do a bloody thing about it.
0: Well, let's just we'll, we'll talk about the ramifications in a minute. Just quickly run through the rest of the last quarter. So it's party time now. Dion Prestia six minutes in, 45 points, couple of cheap goals, and uh, you know, if ever you need any further proof, we'll Brad Crouch and... Taylor Walker kicked two within, yep. uh, I think, a bit over a minute. Barely a murmur from anyone. And that was merely the signal for another uh, trifecta of goals from the Tigers. Townsend again. Butler, the checkside free kick. And just, you know, uh, rem- a bit reminiscent of 1990 with Collingwood. Uh, I think even the Richmond players sort of didn't dare to dream. And I asked most of them in the rooms afterwards, where was the moment you thought, yeah, we've got it? And most of them said they thought Butler's checkside side goal, which was into time on and put them 46 points up. Yeah, I reckon you were safe then, boys. Dusty, of course, then caps it off. And last goal of the game, kicked by Charlie Cameron. But uh, I don't think anyone was even watching by then. We were just singing the song and debating who was going to win the Norm Smith medal. So uh, it's great if you can win a premiership and have the entire last quarter to celebrate. I think um, let's quickly talk about the Norm Smith medal. you happy with it?
1: Well, before the game... I tipped Basho Hawley at $34. So you know what? And he was clearly best on ground. I'll explain why he was best on ground. Because, as you said, early in the game, Richmond were fumbly. And Adelaide kicked the first two goals. You need to settle down quickly. Who settled them down? Basho Hawley. You pointed out that the run of the game was going Richmond's way, but they're not on the scoreboard. Thank goodness he kicked a beautiful goal in that first quarter. Mm. For the rest of the game... He does one percentage that don't come up on any stat sheet. He leads his opponent. He's courageous. But he also plays the percentage as well. And when the boundary's there, he uses it. He had two set shots of goal that he misses. If he kicks them, he's clearly at Norm Smith because he'll have three goals off the back flank. But to be honest, they didn't need those goals. And he was the best on the ground.
0: Yeah, I, I was OK with Martin winning it. I, I thought it was it would have been a tough Norm Smith to decide for me. Um for just for what it's worth let's do a uh, a 54321 yeah yeah one in happy uh, old that. age style yep. so my uh i'm i'm happy with martin as best on ground okay, um, well, i
1: would go i would go Bashar.
0: well i'd actually have alex rance fractionally ahead of Hooley. i thought I, rance it's
1: great cuz i had rance ahead of of um, martin
0: yeah okay so i've got i've got rance second yep. best i've got Hooley third now, best now the next two
1: are interesting
0: well the, my last two if go one of them who's your two votes uh Well hang on, five, four, three. Yeah, my two votes goes to Dion Prestia. Yeah my two votes goes to Dion
1: Prestia. Can I go first? Yeah, go on. I gave one vote to Jack Revolt.
0: Yeah, okay, no, fair enough. I I, thought he was a
1: nice figure to kick to all day.
0: Yeah, I I reckon if you Voting five, it's got to be an absolute whitewash to, you know, for the... Oh, uh, you
1: found you found us...
0: Oh, I thought I thought Matt Crouch soldiered on love really Matt. well. Now, I, you love Matt I Crouch. I do love Matt Crouch.
1: <laughs> I wouldn't have given it to Matt Crouch. Yeah. I, I, I like sauce. Uh, sauce, I should say. Yeah. I like the big sauce. Yeah.
0: I thought Rory Lead was really good for them early, but did fade out of it. But I thought Crouch just battled on with precious little support, unfortunately. I, I um, don't
1: like that bottom five that they do, but I will give a bottom one. Jenkins, I, I just thought Rory Atkins for somebody who's had a really good season mm. hated being there. He, I, he's fast. It's like he was running in treacle. And then he's, I felt, I felt for him, but you know the old if the ground could swallow me up. There yeah. were some moments for him.
0: Uh, it was a horrible day for the Adelaide Footy Club. I mean that they'll be devastated. That was you know. I mean they had a couple of shockers, didn't they, mid season and. That became another one.
1: And another player who's a really good serviceable player for them who can bob up and win you games. Richie Douglas a couple of times had ball and sort of went to ground. Yeah. So he went to his knees yeah. because he knew he couldn't outpace his opponents. Bad. It was like watching it was like watching the wildebeest that gets brought down by hyenas. Every time he, There were like three little guys that bought into his knees a couple of times and he he epitomised to me. What was a shortfall that they could never make up on the day, and that was they were a bit slower and a bit sort of um, less able to cover the ground than their, their sprightly opponents. Their
0: support midfielders were... Sh- I thought David McKay had a sh- a bit of a shocker too. I, I
1: thought he played a bit like David McKay from previous years, because yeah. he'd come a long way.
0: Yeah. All right. Now, very quickly, because we've got to move on, yep. but uh, as a spectacle... Uh, how do we rate this in the pantheon of grand finals? I've got to be brutally honest here as a neutral supporter. I thought it was pretty ordinary.
1: Okay, I from that's I was not at the ground, and from my perspective, they have got to freshen it up. The the bits around it having an interna- having an international band playing with bad acoustics followed by Mike Brady, has been done. Before.
0: That's not the game, though. I'm talking about the game. No, I'm
1: saying, but this is the whole spectacle that's watched on TV. Yeah. Now, the game itself was, unfortunately, excitingly grand final-like for about 10 minutes. You know, know, there was that powerful nervousness. And I don't know, I felt very early that Adelaide's in a lot of trouble here. Yeah. And it sort of script read to me, you know what, it had no... This was a final series, apart from one game, that had no twist in the tail.
0: No. It's, we, that's I, so
1: unlike footy. Footy, was footy.
0: So unlike this season.
1: But footy always throws up some... Yeah. Every now and then, you know, you can't well, just lead from go to woe.
0: But we can twist this around finding saying it was the season of the unexpected. So what was unexpected in September? The amount of one-sided games we got and that there were, there was no twist in the, in the tail.
1: I should say, from a fan's perspective, from the Richmond Army perspective... That's how you want to win a grand final. Bit of a fight early. You know, the Port Adelaide win by Geelong, that was too much of a celebration. Yeah. A bit of a fight, bit of nervousness. So those fans who, are, you know, there's always pessimistic fans and yeah. optimistic fans. Yeah. They can argue at halftime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At three-quarter time, the pessimistic fans saying, 33, we haven't won yet. The yeah. optimistic fans buying alcohol and making phone calls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But all of them could celebrate for the last 15 minutes, which yeah. is fun.
0: Yeah, no, it was, a, it was a good balance of emotions for the, uh, the Tiger tribe. Yeah. All right, that's a, a pretty thorough summary. <laughs> of uh, of the grand final, time for us to Can move I just on. ask one question? Yeah, quickly. come on quick.
1: When they sung that song with Gusto, was it skin or shin that they were s- risking with their head?
0: Oh, I think the fans go with shin.
1: Okay. Yeah. yeah, there's a bit of an argument going on about skin replacing shin, so I'm mm. glad they went shin. Yeah,
0: no, it was a d- definitely a shh sound rather than a sk sound. Beautiful. Okay, let's get on with it.
1: On footyology, hot or
0: not righty plenty of hots for the Tiger fans, plenty of knots for the Crows, unfortunately. I'm starting with a hot finey, and having walked down Swan Street only a couple of hours after a winning Richmond Grand Final, let me say, one, I'm glad I survived the experience, but two, uh, I really enjoyed seeing the Tiger Army celebrating, and they closed off Swan Street. So they did
1: close it yeah, off because no, that was, it was contentious.
0: Cl- yeah, no, most of it was closed off. They were uh you know standing up on the barricades, building out the song. There were people, you know, trying to get into cafes and various takeaway establishments. But it was a really well behaved crowd at that stage, he added with some trepidation. And uh yeah, look, I um uh I <laughs> was a little bit worried about copying it from people, but uh people were really nice and uh you know, you win it, your club wins a premiership, you're just happy. And they celebrated boisterously as we expected but in a well-behaved manner and look I've got to say in a final series it occasionally lacked for thrills I think the way the Richmond support base got around the club was almost the highlight of the whole finals
1: my hot are the Adelaide supporters okay was in the city the day before the grand final on the Friday night and there were tens of thousands of them and I just had a chat to a few of them in a random situation at at one of the Asian restaurants in Chinatown. They had come across, like they said, many others, without tickets, no intention of buying tickets, happy to watch it at Federation Square, there to support their team in numbers, and now view really Melbourne, not just the MCG, as a place to watch the grand final. There's no talk from Adelaide about ever wanting to host it or this isn't fair. They love coming over to Melbourne. They'd won two. Now they've lost one. But I tell you what, they really, first of all, helped the Victorian economy, which is great, but more importantly, have embraced the idea of grand finals in Melbourne.
0: Okay, uh, a knot for me up next. And I don't like doing this because I think he's been absolutely wonderful for the Crows and uh, only narrowly beaten for Coach of the Year the other night. But I don't think Don Pike had a great day in the coaches box. It was interesting, at ground level, I saw him... As the side was warming up, and just after they took the team photo, he sat down the interchange bench, and there was no one else sitting there at that stage, and it was just like he wanted you know, a minute just to collect his thoughts and prepare himself, and actually made the observation on air, this is a guy, he looks perfectly calm, contained, he's been there before, this is a man who knows his side's going to perform. Well, yeah, they didn't perform, but when they didn't perform, I just didn't feel like... Pike and the Adelaide coaching crew did anything really to alter the course of of proceedings. You know, they didn't throw players around. They didn't give Betts or Cameron a go through the middle. They didn't change the physical dimensions of the forward line. You know, they didn't swing someone out of defense into attack. They just didn't try anything. And it, And I think that sort of exacerbated the Adelaide players' feeling of oh, well, this is our plan, it's not going to work, we're beaten. So not a great day for Don Pyke.
1: My not is a sentiment that was very strong in Adelaide leading up to the grand final and even made its way across the border, and that was, we're doing it for Walshie. It was always going to be dangerous, and I don't like it. I don't like it because, of course, every player involved with Adelaide and every person who knew Phil Walsh would do anything for the man who was taken way too young. But to put it into the perspective of a game, what happens if the team underperforms and has a shocker? Because they did. Does that reflect how they feel about Walshie? It is a dangerous game to play to say, we are going to go there and win or just, you know, do Walshie proud. It doesn't always work out that way. And in retelling the story, it reads badly.
0: All right, finishing with a hot, uh, another Tiger, obviously, but... Uh, not left field, but Toby Nankurvis. It's interesting. A lot of people thought Sam Jacobs was as good a player as the Crows had. He certainly dominated the hitouts, but I thought Nankurvis absolutely matched his presence around the ground. I think they, I think Nankervis might have ended up with more disposals. Eighteen disposals. He had four marks. He laid three tackles. He set up that goal for Jack Graham in the. Third quarter, or was it the second quarter? But he he had a real physical presence, which is what you need in a grand final. And that, to me, I, I looked at him today, and I just thought this has been a big plus for them this year. That you know, okay, Prestia and Caddy have come in and they've been important, but Nan Curvis, right from the start of the season, was really giving him that physical, aggressive presence in the ruck that Evan Marich used to do, and they'd sort of lost that. And I reckon they'll look back on his role. And he's a guy that couldn't get into Sydney's grand final sides. Not only has he got into another club's grand final side, he's played in the flag and I think he's had a really big part to play in that. So well done, Toby Nankervis.
1: And my final hot for the season is a Tigers player and he's the sort of player that teammates and coaches love because he's a consistent performer and a quiet achiever and not mentioned often enough. We talk, of course, about Dustin Martin and Coxton through the midfield and what Prestia has brought and Caddy rolling forward. But they picked up a bloke from the VFL by the name of Kane Lambert who sat under the noses of Carlton for three or four years playing for the Preston Bull Ants and the Northern Bull Ants, and everybody knew he was the best midfielder in the competition and almost uh, stubbing their noses at all the advice, Carlton kept saying one more season. Eventually Richmond swooped and his ability to match it in the midfield with some of the more credentialed midfielders is what allows Martin to go forward and Kane Lambert had another very effective game in the grand final and I bet you on the night when they celebrate the inner sanctum talk about it, Kane Lambert is held in high regard.
0: Good. That's hot or not. What did that work out at? 6-18. All right. Okay, Media Watch. I reckon we're going to have to mark this quick. Okay. Okay. Three, t- yeah, two... Yeah,
1: it's not critical, but it's, it's you know, yeah. it's, it's on.
0: Yeah. Three, two, one. Rightio, that part of the show, fine-y. Uh sometimes controversial, but, look, big week, grand final week in terms of media coverage. Uh, highlights, lowlights, how do we assess it? It's been a long week, I guess, We probably start with talking about the Brownlow medal coverage, which, let's be honest, now we were covering it there for SEN, but we had the feed going, so we saw the whole thing, basically. Uh, It didn't strike me as being much different to usual, but it got absolutely caned critically.
1: I've got to say that we got a lot of uh, SMSs saying, loving your coverage, much more informed. All of a sudden, the alternative without vision was getting a thumbs up from a lot of the public because they are railing against the traditional vision coverage. But I don't know how else you can cover it. If you want to hear all the votes, then the bulk of the night is going to be for anybody but football anoraks, unbearable. I mean, you just go through one, two, threes of irrelevant games. How's that going yeah. to be broadcast? Well, a
0: couple of things struck me. The round-by-round round highlights, that, and we said this during our broadcast, that, that's almost become a de facto, that was the season it was, which used to be a, a highlight for any footy fan, but they don't, they don't seem to do it now. You get it on Brownlow night, but half of those packages seem to be sort of funniest home videos type stuff True. with the in the background.
1: The other way to do it is the NRL actually have the first 15 or something rounds made public, and then it goes in camera or whatever the expression is, which is great because they open the broadcast, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Delhi M medal, which, by the way, if you work out mathematically, cannot be lost by Cameron Smith. You know, so,
0: is that because they can't count that many rounds? or?
1: Uh, the, people knew just the games that he played and the guy that was chasing him was unavailable, so they start the broadcast and it's already over. I don't like that
0: either. Um, we also, we didn't, neither of us minded the thing about getting those people inside footy clubs to intro each round. I thought that was a, a reasonable touch, but people didn't seem to like that either.
1: Ox, of course, it works at 11.16 SEN, something got on his goat, and he got so angry that the Richmond mascot was one of the presenters, because he can't speak, it had to be done with subtitles, and Ox just hated it. <laughs> I mean, it was sort of... 15 seconds out of his life, and I guess it forced Ox to read, so it's <laughs> it was unlike, painful. It's
0: unlike our fun-loving Ox. Um, he
1: hated, and look, it's probably rivalry in the animal kingdom. I've got, I've
0: got another controversial uh, call. I think um, the red carpet has officially jumped the shark finally. Didn't
1: jump it with the rotating... Uh, rotisserie Rotisserie. a few years ago. I think that was a shark jump.
0: Well, yeah. Look, I hate it anyway. I think we're... I don't know about you. I'm on record as saying I hate it. I I don't
1: think it jumps a shark. I think it actually fails to make the jump and gets (laughs) eaten by the shark. Well, I
0: I think there's been moments where people have really whacked it up. Remember, people have send out the the group emails the next day and critique all the fashions and everything. But I just detected a real sort of... uh, uh, Sort of lethargy about the whole thing you know and uh, I'm no fashion expert but nothing struck me as particularly extra glamorous and is there our, a- our own Megan Husway couldn't even bothered be bothered hanging around to talk to us about it.
1: Is there not an opportunity for one of these girls or wives uh, girlfriends or wives and I don't like using the uh, expression that is associated with them to get a great humorous moment in and launch a career because they were all asked the same question. What are you wearing tonight? And I just want one of them to sit back, sort of touch what she's wearing, look at it and go, a dress.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a- either that or who, who who, are you dressed by. Yeah,
1: a dress. Oh, that's right. Who, well, dressed, who dressed you tonight? I did. <laughs> I did. And then, and then um, you know, Jimmy Bartell over there, he tried to take it off and I had to put it <laughs> back on. And... Oh, was that what Nadia <laughs> said, was it? So, yeah, uh, it's maybe people like it that don't like football. And that makes a very... No,
0: no, don't don't give Channel 7 people ideas for it. That's been the cornerstone of their footy coverage for 10 years. No,
1: it makes for... They're very uncomfortable bedfellows. We've got a broadcast tonight. We need to appeal to people who love football and hate football.
0: Okay. well, well, let's move from people who don't really like football but will watch that to a telecast that would have only been watched by diehards, and that was the VFL Grand Final um on the Sunday the previous Sunday what did you make of that well
1: more full any football fan that didn't watch it because it was in the best 15 games I've saw all season it was fantastic it was a driving pulsating effort versus skill really Richmond were the more skill had the more skillful players but Port Melbourne had the more desperate players and the coverage Nigel Carmody, and I have to lay my cards on the table, I've done a lot of radio with Nigel, and him was a friend, he's such a professional individual, I mean he's a player manager, former VFL footballer himself, and just gives the irregular VFL fan a bit of an insight, because there are players, a lot of interchange in the VFL, there's some rivalries, there's some previous um, bad blood and it, it was a good backstory. I, I thought they covered the finals very well.
0: Yeah, no. I, I, I Jason I, I, Bennett and
1: um, Campbell Brown as well.
0: I like Jason Bennett as a caller. I, I really do. Um, and also topped off with the TAC Cup. What, what are the odds on two grand finals being decided by a kick after the siren? Oh,
1: very different kicks. In the case of <laughs> Lennon for Richmond.
0: Yeah, well, it's, Lennon's it's, was tough. He made, it, the, he made the journey. In the case though, of Lennon's,
1: isn't? it's pretty impossible. Especially after four quarters of... He made the journey, though. Well, it, it made it to the base of the pack. I mean, it, the the fact is, he's over 50 metres out, four mm. pu- four quarters. It would have taken a, a miracle kick. Yeah. This lad, Marty, from the Sandringham yeah. Dragons. Now, I want to point out, he's a basketballer yeah. whose efforts in playing the game, he's, he's come a long way. And they all knew that he's not really the guy to kick it, but he was 12 metres out. And I want to say something to you, Roman, about the broadcast. This is only me personally. I have always hated when I watched the Kilda playing. If a player's having a shot at goal and they do the angle from behind the goal, oh, yeah. I feel it's yeah, cursed. No, no. I, I really, I don't know why I think this, but I think it, it's so much harder to kick with me watching it <laughs> on that angle. <laughs> but it's and uh, that's the angle they showed for a Marty, and he missed it. Yeah,
0: but it's harder to watch too. You, you, you get you, no you, perspective. No, you get no perspective. You've got a perspective
1: here because as soon as he kicked it, he fell to his knees as though he'd been shot.
0: Whenever I use that word perspective, I always think of the scene in Spinal Tap where they visit Elvis's grave and they go, still puts it in perspective. (laughs) Yeah, too much perspective. Um, All right, let's move on now. Uh, The rest of the week, you know, it's sort of passed with your your usual sort of cavalcade of footy panel shows. We had the last edition of Margrook, I'm going to say, here in a a little bit of self-interest.
1: Speaking of cavalcade, of course, we've also got the – Grand Final Parade, and every year it does amuse me that it is the one time when you get to look up the nostrils of players, because the camera work is sometimes quite annoying. They're sitting on the tops of seats of cars, and the cameraman is underneath filming them being interviewed. And you get some quite flary, (laughs) hairy nostrils.
0: Um, I've just got to say here, craving self-interest, but uh, anyone from Marngrook or who watched Marngrook this year, uh, can I just say I have so much love working on that show and uh, we have a lot of fun and I think it went pretty well. So hopefully we can do that all again next year. But here's my big whinge for media watch this week. The footy marathon. Now, we're diehards, and yes, all these games are available on YouTube now, and people have the DVDs, but come on. Look, surely there are some football traditions that are worth preserving. What alternative programming are you going to have on a Friday night before the grand final? It's not like it's expensive to put together. You can record it during the day and pretend it's night. You know, have some. I was watching the old ABC one from 1987, and Peter G was hosting it and did a really good job too, but... I go to turn on the marathon. Fox don't have one at all. Instead, they're running AFL three hundred and sixty and bounce back to back on a loop throughout the whole evening. Wow, that'll drag the viewers in. Channel Seven sort of did a half marathon. I think they had.
1: Was <laughs> many, it twenty six kilometres? Or how many? What's a half marathon? It was weird.
0: They sort of had. They had five old grand finals, and the choices were weird too. So they had. I heard, um, a, I
1: heard a lot of talk uh, talk of that on. Uh, Social media. Yeah, they picked. They picked like some modern finals that had no relevance to Adelaide or Richmond. No,
0: was no, it? there wasn't much uh, connection there. They had um, the seventy-five grand. Final. In fact, you would have thought North were playing the grand final because they had the seventy-five Not, grand final yeah. and the seventy-seven grand final as well. Odd. I don't know. Was it Wrong Casey, Ron Braun Casey relatives or something? Or?
1: To me, the grand final marathon was always what time they would play the sixty-six grand final because that was always on
0: first, usually.
1: Well, generally it was on first, and I always felt that somebody's uh, somebody had at a killed a person at what at the network must have had kids. Then it got lost in the middle of the broadcast. I had this happen two years in a row where I had the phone next to me and my friend Daniel Pohl, more capable of staying up through the night, rang me when the St Kilda game was about to start. Why I needed to see it the same quarter over and over, I don't know, but it became part of football tradition and to lose it is a pity. It is, but maybe it's part of you know. Go to go to YouTube and bring it up and. Well, watch it I yourself. tried to help. I
0: found this. Um, I think Oz Tiger runs this YouTube channel, but yep. he had he'd uploaded all eight and a half hours of the ABC's nineteen eighty seven football marathon. Yep. So I tweeted a link to that, and, and
1: there used to be two rival football. Well, marathons. that's the
0: thing, the, and but that's the thing though. You get the ABC coverage of games. And it had the 84 grand final, and I did have the ABC coverage of that on a beta tape, which I taped at the time, but hadn't heard for ages. So to hear Tim Wayne and Doug Haywood and Mike Fitzpatrick doing special comments during 84, it it was fantastic. And
1: then on Channel 7, they had three shifts. The first shift was generally the more featured commentators like a Sandy Roberts, and the last shift, I think, went. To another, maybe a younger like a Drew Morford but in the middle they used to put poor old Peter McKenna and Don Scott, <laughs> who were would come back from games and say things like, "Well, that was a pretty easy win in uh, nineteen ninety four, Collingwood over Essendon." See, uh, I found myself dozing off there, and they, they oh, really, yeah. they really were fighting against. Um, the obvious difficulties of being up all night. But well, they,
0: they've experimented with it. I can remember they had the could-have-been champions doing it, I think, in 1986 as last year before they lost the rights. But uh, subsequent to that, there was a year they had Paul Salmon and friends. So you had yeah. Fish and Mark Harvey and all these yeah. guys sort of – Around a fake barbecue or something. But, but wasn't
1: it great that they actually, before that, just actually had three shifts? They didn't pre They were only intros. They could have just got them in and pre-recorded <laughs> it, but they actually had them in the studio all night to add to the marathon feel. But
0: tell me, like, okay... And then
1: what happens at the end of the marathon, Rowan?
0: The North Melbourne Grand Final Breakfast. Which
1: used to be great. It just used to be a single shot of a panel of that comedian with the silver hair, Lou Richards... Peter
0: Landy. Say no, the no, comedians. there was a good Brian,
1: <laughs> what's his name, Brian Doyle or something? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whose routine required him on TV every second day to go, I shouldn't have said that on air. It's that <laughs> right to say on TV? <laughs> and Lou would go, it's too late now. And there were always three or four people on this panel. That you had no idea who they were. They were North Melbourne board members, never introduced, and just sitting there sort of, b- the, the best part about it, you actually saw people eating breakfast. Like, you know... the Bacon and people they're coming with drugs of orange juice.
0: I went I went to one about ten years ago and geez, that made for a long day, finally. I don't yeah. think I don't think I could do it again. Did you
1: see it this year? It still exists. Yeah, no,
0: I think Fox Footy do it, don't they?
1: On the main stage there was no Brian Doyle or Lou Richards or Bacon and Eggs, what was just it? a big Mazda. Oh, really? the North's major sponsor.
0: <laughs> what did they feed the Mazda?
1: No, 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 it was just a Mazda. I thought, you know what? The corporate world I don't think they get all the tickets to the grand final, but they've ruined the breakfast.
0: Alright, last thing in this discussion, coverage of the grand final itself. Now I was sitting on the boundary for SEN, so I as yet haven't seen the Channel Seven coverage. I will watch it. How'd you critique it?
1: Alright. I think Brian Taylor in his time on T V has copped a lot of criticisms a criticism. I remember when he started calling on T V, somebody noted talkie's ruined the movies and Vision's gonna ruin Brian Taylor. Well, you know what? A few years later, his call was great today. Was it? Powerful, but not... I, I really don't like when, uh, in an attempt to keep viewers watching, they string they string you along with a set of lies in the last quarter. If they kick this, yeah, yeah. there was none of that. He was powerful when it needed to be, and that was when Richmond took hold of the game. Bruce asked, you know, made a lot of his Bruceisms, which... You really feel as though they need to kick the next goal. You know, these predictive, what's going to happen in the next two minutes. But he was very accurate.
0: Did he have, uh, what was the gravelly voice factor with Bruce?
1: Well, obviously Dustin Martin. Yeah. Okay. Oh, no! New... He puts the afterburners on. <laughs>
0: he's, he's the new Cyril. is Yeah,
1: I've, I've got a terrible, I've got a feeling that will end. You see, Cyril's a very quiet person and sort of took it in stride. Yeah. If he keeps sneaking up on Dustin, Dustin's going to turn around and cold cock him, which is probably what he wants. (laughs) Um, So, well, maybe not the cold part of it. So, the fact is, there's a lot of um, special comments people at Channel 7, and they pay big money for them, and they all get to the big dance. And it became too... First of all, there's a familiarity I don't like there. Duck, what do you think about... You know, and... Then there's, you need to know the voices. I don't know whether every football fan, because sometimes they just chime in with a comment. Was that Lingy? Yeah. Is Lingy on the boundary? Was that Richo? Is Lingy on Richo? I mean, it became too confusing.
0: Now, speaking of which, I, I was sitting about 20 metres away from Richo, and I could see, I kept looking over the fence, and I could see he was in tears. Did yep. they cut to him much in the last yeah, quarter? Yeah, so And became, was he saying much, or...?
1: Look, if you don't like Richo... You, Everyone likes him no, no, I'm likes saying, likes if Richo, you don't like don't Richo... You're one of two things. You're a real uh, football antagonist support, like you hate Richmond and you yeah, hate yeah. Richo, or you don't like the softer side of men because you know Richo's got a vulnerability. You know, well, he's he's got a um a feminine side that he's in touch with. And he's got a, he's an emotion an um, emotional person, mm. and you know I think they knew what was going to happen. Mm. It was almost as though you could see the producer with the wall of images. Yeah. And we just hold, hold, as they're waiting for the tears to well up. <laughs> hold, hold, on three, Richardson. You know, and they got him just as um, it all became a bit too for much. For what
0: it's worth, I, I spoke to him shortly before coming here to record this, and uh, he said, You know what I want to do? I just want to go home, have a couple of quiet beers, and just sort of soak it up. He was still sort of grappling with the the reality of it. but um, So, look, all up, you're, you reckon Seven's coverage pretty okay?
1: I think the actual coverage needs a very, very strong refresh, but the actual commentary mm. was, given the nature of the game, which was for Richmond people only, very good.
0: Well, that would be uh, something we haven't said too often in this segment. So
1: I just want to clarify it by saying the Brian Taylor listened to him without prejudice because he actually called really well, and people just sort of dismiss some. Some people just don't like it. No, I think
0: I think he's been a far better caller doing Friday nights. Uh, he's definitely been more serious this season. And yeah,
1: Sunday night was too indulgent. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. And I think yeah, I think when he calls straight he, he gets the you know the right excitement and passion, whatever. So yep, good to hear.
1: On Footyology, Rocco and Finney's rant off
0: Radio rant off time. Are you suitably inspired, Mark? We've seen uh, a famous premiership. We've seen a power pack, convincing performance. Is there something still worth getting angry about, Rowan? I'll tell you this much: Richmond love stops shortly. All right. Well, uh, I think I've got something. So you count me in, and I'm going to rant away. A one, two, three, go. I'm pissed off about football fairy tales, Fonny. What's going on? They're not supposed to happen in our game. We've grown up on a healthy diet of heartbreak. Your Saints are a classic example. You come from nowhere, steadily build your supporters' expectations, then fall tragically at the final hurdle with a shocking dose of reality to remind you that being a footy fan is all about getting kicked in the nuts repeatedly. I'll tell you what's not supposed to happen. You're not supposed to do what the Western Bulldogs did last year, come from mid-table, finish seventh, then win four tough finals to land a premiership. And you're certainly not supposed to come from 13th one season to a flag the next the very next year, What are you doing, Richmond? We've put up with this crap now two years in a row. Enough! Who's left to laugh at in the AFL competition these days? No one's that bad anymore and even the teams that are come good within a couple of years. I suppose next we'll all be toasting Carlton's ascent from the depths of despair and everyone will be feeling all soft and fluffy about them. That's how far we've let the status quo slip. I can see it now in 2018, Brendan Bolton's baby blues capturing hearts across the nation. Geez, John Elliott would never have allowed that when he was Carlton president. He would have rather they'd finished on the bottom and still be considered assholes than win a flag and a popularity contest. I'm telling you, the footy world's gone all pear-shaped. Dreams coming true, clubs like Richmond that when we were kids would have gladly thrashed you on the field, pinched your best players and had an affair with your mum along the way, becoming a feel-good tale. How does this happen? I'm not comfortable with a football world where there's no masters and servants and people are allowed to dream. I'm not comfortable with this sharing around of the spoils. 13 different premiers in the 28 seasons of AFL football. I reckon university will be winning a flag soon. They haven't even been in the competition since 1914. Enough, I say. Next club that comes out of nowhere to a grand final gets its ass kicked or I'm giving this game away. Oh, unless it's Essendon funny, because it's been 17 bloody years and these days... That's fairy tale territory. <laughs>
1: oh, that's a good. That is a good rant. Thank you. I
0: liked it, and I like the reference to
1: university. I,
0: I feel that they're underappreciated. Forgotten. Yeah, forgotten. No, they're an important part of our historical fabric. All right, I hope I hope that's inspired you. Certainly, so I'm going to count you in now. Three, two, one, rant. I will not
1: propagate the lie that the Richmond Football Club supporters are these wonderful cherubs, long-suffering darlings who got a wonderful reward come grand final day. And then, with great boisterous bonhomie, flooded the streets of Richmond into taverns where all were welcome and it was a world of beers, hugs, kisses, and see you next year. We love you, Tiger fans. It's Bullshit. Look, I'll tell you what Richmond fans are. They've been feral and will always remain feral. The Grog squad only belonged to one team. It was Richmond. How was it formed? Enough of their fans would get so blind drunk at the punt road end of the ground that they got badges and called themselves the Grog squad. I think at the third time of spelling they got the word Grog right. If you walked in amongst them, they would berate you. They'd throw their beer at... No, they wouldn't throw their beer at you. They wouldn't waste that. They'd throw something at you, a nasty pack of you-know-whats, and they still exist. Look, Richmond supporters... And by the way, the idea that Richmond is a suburb full of love for Richmond, this united suburb, is also buckwheat. Swan Street, yes. Bridge Road, maybe. But I can tell you when the final siren went on grand final day, what were they doing down Victoria Street? eating faux noodles and doing heroin down the alleys, as they always do. Look, Richmond ain't no fairyland and it ain't no Disneyland and the people that follow the club are not angels or saints. All they are, are Richmond supporters with less to hate and something to celebrate. If that makes them better people, then I'm a monkey's uncle.
0: Oh, loaded. Uh, I've got a couple of favourite restaurants in Victoria Street, so uh, hello to you guys. And it wasn't me that said that. No, well, I... nothing
1: I've... wrong with pho noodle
0: soup. Oh, love pho. And you're
1: telling soup. me they they uh, are not um, banging 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 up heroin down the side streets. Uh, unfortunately, no, they do. not
0: as far as I'm aware. They well, do not the people I associate with, Mark. anymore. <laughs> All right, I think uh, time to wrap it up there. Uh, congratulations. On a serious note, congratulations, uh, Tiger fans. You enjoy. Your moment in the sun, hopefully this will help you enjoy it. And, and, and a
1: little less hubris than when you were winning flags in the 70s and suggesting that half the competition piss off so you could make more money.
0: Yeah, we don't want to go there. But I, I think uh, I think 37 years is a, a fair bit of karma. I, I think they've earned their dues. Famous
1: number 37, Mike Green. And I can tell you something, they've got a coach who is a cracking bloke, loved by the players, because you can't in your eighth year have the support of the team without some real deep... Feeling for the man. He's funny, and he's also his reference to Mrs. Hardwick in his Up on the Dias. That's very good. Actually, it was one of the funniest things I've heard heard on a, a premiership
0: presentation also now achieve premierships in some capacity with four different clubs pretty remarkable effort yep. Good all idea, right Demar. that's it you know we finish off uh, this podcast with an obscure musical connection
1: just before that there Is are pod- just before well Can there on? are we are going to be featuring some podcasts during trade period as we should
0: yes we'll negotiate it, yep. we'll negotiate this but let's just finish this one first okay okay obscure musical connection this one seemed pretty obvious to me, again, after I walked down the length of Swan Street, and that was at about 9.30pm, and uh, God knows what it's going to be like by about 4am. But to that end, all I could think of finally, as I walked all the way to SEN Studios, was the Dead Kennedys, famous punk band. Holiday in Cambodia? Not quite. Their other famous song, uh, which involves over I know that. It's too, it's too drunk, drunk too... to do something that is good unless you're too drunk. So Very Richmond, this song. And I quote, went to a party, I danced all night, I drank 16 beers and I started up a fight, but now I'm jaded, you're out of luck, I'm rolling down the stairs, too drunk to We'll see you later.